Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with Big Ticket Clients, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to Sean Martin, who is the author of Hack Your Hiring. It's a tactical playbook to find, evaluate, and hire A-plus talent. Sean, I am so proud to say we're both in Austin. How are you doing, Sean? I'm excellent, and aren't we both blessed to be living here in Austin? I know, it's I know. Beautiful and, day today. and the weather is beautiful. We, like, can we find something to complain about? Because I can't find anything. <laughs> um, South by Southwest is over. Wait, that's not a complaint. That's a celebration. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Sean, it is so much fun to have you here. And, you know, by the way, congratulations on getting your book out there. It's such a great read. I started taking a look at some pages. Tell us about Hack Your Hiring, your book. Absolutely. And thank you uh, for those kind words. I appreciate it. So Hack Your Hiring is, it was a labor of love for sure. And I actually cranked that book out in a lot shorter time than most people, you know, write books because it's a very short, very tactical, obviously, very tactical book. And it is filled with 75 strategies, best practices to be able to just upgrade how you attract, uh, evaluate and hire great talent. So it's it's a very short book. It's very easily digestible. I consider it one of those books you might keep on your desk in your office so you can just kind of flip through the pages, say, I, I need to improve the logistics of my hiring process. I'll, I'll go to that section. I'll find some things, figure out what works. I need to improve the way that I source talent. I'll just There's 32 sourcing strategies in there. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, it's just a very tactical book filled with all the things that I've you know, experimented with that I've worked over the years, things I've read about, things I've seen other companies doing, you know, and it's just a, a consolidation of all those ideas. So when people say, I, I've tried everything, wrong, you know, try yeah. one of these things. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Sean, you, I, first, first of all, I want to congratulate, get, first of all, I want to congratulate you again for actually getting the book done with so much great content. You know, how does a software developer, engineer, product executive like you go from the corporate world to writing a book about hiring talent. How did you make that shift? What happened for you? Oh, man. So you know, I left the corporate world not, not even that long ago. As a matter of fact, uh, I got the Facebook memory today uh, <laughs> showing me the start of my last week in the corporate world. And I was a software developer for many years, for over 20 years. Um, I started writing code when I was 12 back before that was cool. And <laughs> And then, you know, just throughout the years had different development jobs. And the last company that I landed at, I started there as a senior engineer. I quickly moved into a management role, was leading teams, building teams, eventually became an executive. And, you know, once I got into that executive role, I was in charge of hiring. And it was a humongous pain point for me, which I'm sure we'll talk about in great depth. Yes, yes. But I am the kind of person that if I'm responsible for something, I don't like to suck at it. Mm. And so I decided at one point that I just, I needed to get good at this and that I owed it to myself, to the company and to the people that, you know, worked in my department and worked for me to make sure that I could surround them with the best people possible. And so the things I've learned, the lessons I learned from that led to the book. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's, it's just one of those things where I feel like all art is just a combination of inspiration from up from various places. And that's what this book was for me. It was just applying this engineering approach, a systems engineering approach to 
the, the processes and systems we use to bring on the talent that makes our companies what they are. No, absolutely. I love what you, what you just said there, which is sometimes the best inspiration comes from a different industry, right? And, right. and, you know, I think I heard a story about how someone built a product using, uh, you know, the FedEx delivery system and the whole hub approach to create a software product. I mean, it's like you've done that. You've transferred your engineering systems into this new world. So tell us about this world. The folks that you're helping, who are they? What, 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 uh, what, what is the context of their lives when they find you and your book so that you can help them? What, what are they struggling with? Right. So primarily I like to work with the leaders in small but growing businesses and organizations. Um, and, and, you know, I don't have a, a finite number around like what the size of small or medium sized business is, but these are the people who are leaders in a growing organization who are a member of a hiring team. They could be a co-founder, executive, hiring manager, uh, a recruiting professional, like a coordinator or a recruiter. It could just be an HR generalist. A lot of times in small businesses, your HR generalist is responsible for everything HR, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I work with these people primarily because every single hire is mission critical, right? When you are small and growing, whether you have 20 people, 50 people, like that next hire, they need to be the right person mm -hmm. and they, they need to be the right fit. And you needed them yesterday, usually. Yeah. Right. I, I have nothing against large, you know, bigger businesses, large corporations. But if you are a 10,000 person organization, making the next 10 hires isn't going to make or break your business necessarily. But when you have 10 employees, the next two hires could make or break you. And you're fighting an uphill battle a lot of times because the game can be rigged against you sometimes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because a 10,000 person organization has an entire army of recruiting professionals who are going out there and pounding the pavement and bringing people in. Whereas you as the, the quote unquote little guy, you got to kind of make it on your own. Yeah. And so that's usually the situation they're in is where they absolutely need to make these next critical hires. And a lot of times they just feel kind of defeated and powerless because they're not seeing the results that they want. Now, now, do you work on both sides of the aisle? And what I mean by that is you help companies looking for talent and do you help the talent find companies? So actually I don't currently work with the talent who's looking for companies. Now, you know, I do some one-offs here and there. I work sure, with friends sure. or, or various people on LinkedIn who are looking to make a career change or they're looking to maybe find the next role and, I definitely will connect the people that, you know, I, that I meet with companies who are looking whenever I get a good sense of somebody, mm -hmm. but I made a conscious decision, uh, you know, when I was starting my business a few months in actually to just focus on working with the companies. Now, why is that? And, and it, it's because, uh, you know, I've, nobody's ever really asked me that before. So fantastic <laughs> question. Um, yeah, I have no easy, no easy questions on the big ticket clients show. That's for sure, right? <laughs> Clearly, I was not prepared for this. Um, now I, and it's funny because I, I did just have a friend ask me recently, like, "Are you going to eventually, you know, offer to help job seekers?" And I said, "Yeah, maybe eventually. I mean, that makes a lot of sense." But the problems that I see and the things that really drove me to start this particular business was. You know, the, the challenges that I faced as a hiring manager mm -hmm. and then talking with friends of mine and colleagues of mine who might have been you know, looking for a new role and to hear the horror stories that were horrible for them, but great comedy and fodder for me when I'm listening to what some companies are doing when they're trying to attract talent yeah. and they're interviewing people, realizing that if I can help solve this side of the equation, mm -hmm. then the people who are seeking great employment with great organizations 
it'll be easier for them too. Yeah. Right. And to just try to focus on this, this one side for again, these companies who are, I, I don't think they even realize the amount of money that's being wasted and the amount of opportunity that's being wasted mm-hmm. by their inability to get good at this particular area of their business. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Sean, is that most of our listeners are, you know, consultants or coaches or advisors. Um, and usually they start out small, you know, one person, two person, maybe a three person team. And I think it's well known in the industry that we're in that if you really want to grow your business, at some point, the key word is build a team, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. So even though they're small, they're going to need some of the advice that you're sharing with us today about you know p- finding the right people, right? Getting the right people on the bus. So on that note, what are some of the sort of mindset issues or challenges or beliefs, if you might, if you will, that the the your ultimate clients are dealing with? So the big co- corporate organizations. What is stopping them from doing this? Why do they need your book and the things that you bring to the table? Absolutely. So one of the biggest challenges, honestly, for for these folks is they're in this kind of self-perpetuating cycle. So if you're a smaller organization, uh, let's just say you've got 20 employees, you've been around for a couple of years, right? You are so strapped for time and resources, Mm -hmm. right? Because you are wearing so many different hats. You are... You're the CEO, but you're also the head of marketing, but you're also, you know, like you're wearing so many hats and you're doing all the things. So you're strapped for time and resources and you have no time to focus on hiring. The number one or number two complaint I always hear is I don't have time to focus on hiring. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you could fill a few of the key roles that you have open, you might have a little more time, but Mm. you can't fill any of the key roles. So you don't have more time and you have no time to focus on filling the key roles. So it just kind of, again, it keeps perpetuating the cycle. So that is one of the biggest challenges that people have. And, you know, I think also one of the myths that really gets people bogged down is that there's just nothing they can do about it, mm. right? And that's why I found this, fa- this space so fascinating. You know, there are some recruitment consultants out there. There are te- technological tools that claim to be the silver bullet to everything. Mm-hmm. But by and large, companies don't feel like there's anything they can do to affect change in this area. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly just for one reason, and that's that nobody ever taught them how. Wow. Right. You know, a good friend of mine uh, said, and I love this quote, he said, there's no college degree that has the word recruiting in the title. There you go. (laughs) And I said, he said that, and I was just like, my jaw kind of dropped. I was like, huh, you're right. And I honestly, when I was struggling with this as an executive, I didn't seek out education. I didn't look to try to solve this problem. I just assumed it is the way that it is, and there's nothing I can do about it. And fortunately, that's actually not true. Yeah. So, so, so you're saying something which I totally agree with that, you know, at some point you've got to learn something that you're not doing so that you don't constantly get the same results you're getting now, right? Um, you've, you experienced this yourself. Uh, you actually struggled quite a bit and you experienced this and then you formed Rebase. Can you tell us what your company Rebase means? the struggle that you had to go through before you found that. And, you know, I, I love the way you bring engineering into this. I want to hear that. <laughs> Share that with us, please. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Good question. I um, So so Rebase, for those of you listening who don't have a technical background, which is probably a lot of you, um, Rebase, the name of the company, started out as the name of the podcast that I started uh, back about a year and a half ago. And I am cursed with an affliction to where I love work. I just, I absolutely love work. I love having a purpose. I love, I love the idea of creating an impact in people's lives. And I always felt like I had a very 
good work-life integration. I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't believe you turn off one aspect of your personality and turn another one on. And in the technical world, rebase is basically a word for whenever you've made changes to code or to some document, and you're then going to integrate those changes with the main changes that are in your code base, for example. So there's code that's stable, it's static, it's sitting out there. You're making some changes. Now you're going to integrate those changes in. And rebase is just a command that you would use as a, a coder on a command line to do that. So I created the podcast to basically help people find profession with purpose so they could integrate all these areas of their life. And then when I started the company, I tried a couple of different company names uh, that were probably equally as vague. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we always want to be like super clever whenever we're creating, you know, something new. Yeah. Um, over too clever for our own good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually I realized that, okay, hiring and this whole aspect of your business, it just needs to be integrated as a part of your business. It's not separate. It's not temporary. Mm-hmm. It is a part of your business. And also on the same, you know, on the same sort of uh, uh, wavelength, you're integrating new people into your organization. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of fit. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the company and the, you know, the podcast is all about, again, helping people find profession with purpose. So we talk about starting a freelancing gig or the future of work and how technology is going to impact that. Um, all sorts of fun stuff. Some of it's just about, uh, some of it's just solo episodes of me. I'll talk about how the agile manifesto from software engineering can impact your life. Talk about making plans and having a contingency plan, all sorts of fun stuff. So yeah. No, that that's really cool. And by the way, I love the way you talk about integrating your life with your work because isn't that so true, right? Uh, yeah. So many people feel like they got to shut themselves off on Friday. You know, thank God it's Friday uh, so that they can, be <laughs> the, so they can be their true selves on the weekend. But really the best life that I've discovered, just as you've said, is when it's integrated. So kudos to yeah. you for, for sharing that. Now, I want to know more about your secret sauce, right? You talk about a secret sauce in Hack Your Hiring that will help make the process of integrating and bringing in people and all that stuff more effective and, and faster. What is that secret sauce? What can you share? For sure, for sure. I So when I was putting together the, the book and I was brainstorming the book, I started doing exactly what you do as an engineer. And I, I started looking at the process and I saw kind of the process that I used and that I see other companies using to bring in new talent. And I started decomposing and deconstructing that process. Um, and it's, it's exactly what I did as an executive, but I didn't have terminology for it. And I didn't really have a clear picture of it back then. Mm-hmm. I just was sort of figuring out, okay, we got to tweak this and, you know, add over here. Yeah. And so what you find in the book is essentially there's six areas and um, I originally called them the five components of high performance hiring. Mm-hmm. And the book has those five components and then a, a six, which I'll talk about. But the five components of high performance hiring are the profile, which I now kind of refer to as the blue the blueprint. Mm-hmm. So this role that you're hiring for, like getting a crystal clear picture, not like a hand drawing. I feel like most job descriptions and job ads are like a stick figure drawing, whereas a blueprint that you create is going to be like a detailed photograph or painting, mm-hmm. right? So you're super clear, not just on what activities the person is going to be doing, Mm -hmm. but like what does success look like in the role? What does a really like high quality a player look like? Like what Mm -hmm. challenges do they have to overcome? What gives them the ability to overcome those challenges? Because there's all these things that go into what makes somebody successful in a role. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a college degree and three years of experience in Excel. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's all these things. So that's, that's sort of that profile. Mm -hmm. 
the next component is sourcing, right? If you look at recruiting, if you look at sourcing, right? So you look at recruiting like it's kind of a sales process, right? Because it is, I like to say that recruiting is dating for work. Yes. Right. So there's a courtship process involved. And part of that courtship process is putting yourself out there in the world and getting people interested and engaged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And that's the sourcing component. Like where are you getting applications, resumes, these interested parties from. Yeah. And there's a wide variety of sourcing mechanisms. You could be marketing your opportunities and your culture. You could be doing direct outreach. You know, there's all those sorts of things. Right? You know, you know, you know, Sean, Sean, something I want to just jump in and share with you. Remember we talked before um, we, we got on here about the fact that what you're doing, you're using different terms, but it's really the best kind of marketing I've ever seen. A lot of the things you're talking about. So for example, the first thing you said was you, you call it profile, but really you're defining your avatar. You're yeah. defining who's your ideal client, right? Yeah. And then you, you're moving to sourcing, which is where can they be found? So love it, love it. So for anyone who's listening, transfer the, just recognize that, you know, everything he's talking about in the people marketing world is the same thing you got to do right in yep. the product or service marketing world, right? Absolutely. And I, I would say the, the one differentiator really is if you're identifying a customer, some businesses will identify their avatar, but they'll sell to anybody, mm. right? Yes. And, and it's fine because if you aren't looking to have repeat customers, you can just sell somebody your widget and then you're done, right? The, the, one of the big challenges with identifying that avatar is you're going to be seeing this person every day. Yeah. <laughs> right? yes. you're and you're going to be paying them. them. <laughs> yeah, you're paying the money <laughs> versus so them. Yeah, it's, versus them. If you, if you hire the wrong person, right, that's like having the most toxic customer ever who could bring your entire company crashing down. A- absolutely. So, so, but you're absolutely right. And, and that's, again, going back to like, borrowing from one area and applying it to another. You know, yes. there are other parts of of this whole framework that I've put together that are just kind of ripped from software engineering. Yeah, so so right? let's get back to that framework. So you said profile, then sourcing. Now there sourcing. are three more, right? Yep. So, yes, so then there's three more. The next one is screening. And screening is basically just that, it's that first sort of barrier to entry, right? You're not mm-hmm. doing a, a deep dive uh, interview process or things like that. You're just kind of figuring out, okay, is this person basically competent at the role that I want to hire somebody for? Mm-hmm. Right. So that could be an automated, you know, a phone screen. It could be a technical test or interview. It's a, it's usually a very short process where you're just kind of gauging not only like their basic competence, mm-hmm. but also their general interest. Right. Uh, the, the challenge that I don't think most companies realize is back in the day, you know, I, I love that term back in the day. Yeah, back in the uh, day. <laughs> Back in the day, before job boards, LinkedIn, Indeed, do you know how we found jobs? We saw them in the newspaper classifieds. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yes. Right? But then if you wanted to apply for that job, you had to go and type up or handwrite, God forbid, a resume, mm-hmm. put it in an envelope, send it in the mail, you know, and follow up and do all these things. Now I can apply for a job with like two or three clicks, Yeah, which means – I can apply for jobs I didn't even read the description for. I don't even want. So a lot of times the the problem that you don't want, you, you think you want, and then you, you actually don't want once you have it is, oh, I've got 100 applications a day and two of them are actually qualified. Yeah. Right? So that's where sourcing comes, or sorry, that's where screening comes into play. You're just kind of like finding a little bit of the signal through the noise. Mm-hmm. Then evaluating is the next component or step. Mm-hmm. And that is what most people will consider your interview process. And mm-hmm. there's a lot in the book about how to make that as engaging as possible, as, uh, as, as high quality as possible. So you can make a confident decision mm-hmm. by the time you get done with an interview, 
in that evaluation process. And the other aspect of the evaluation process, I would say, is reference checks, which you never want to skip. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of an interview process, you should be able to basically say, okay, I really think I want to hire this person or I definitely don't want to hire this person. If I really think I want to hire this person, I'm just going to double check with references Mm -hmm. and make sure they are who I think they are. Yeah. Right. And so that's the evaluating stage. And then the final stage, which a lot of us don't think about is closing. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, this goes back to how this is kind of a sales process. It is. Marketing marketing and sales. Yep. So when you're hiring A plus talent, and let's just call A plus talent the top 10% of whatever industry you're in, right? Those people are usually gainfully employed. They're usually appreciated and valued where they are. And if they are looking, they're usually considering multiple opportunities. So one of the big challenges I think that companies run into a lot just by talking to them is we kind of let our egos get in the way and we're like, well, we really like them. They would be, they should be flattered to want to come and work for us. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it is, it's a relational game. You need to make sure that they want to work with you as much as you want to, you want them to come and work with you. Mm -hmm. So that's where this closing component really comes in. And that's why they're kind of stages, but they're kind of components because closing is happening in the entire stretch of your process. You know, I, I am a firm believer in a great candidate experience. I've had people who didn't get the role, but because they had such a good experience, they're still raving fans of the company mm-hmm. and they still refer people in for roles because you, you were kind of closing them the whole time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so those are the five components. The last section of the book is just on logistics and candidate experience. Right. So it's, it's kind of that stuff that doesn't fit into one of those buckets, yeah. but it's, how do you, how do you put it into, how do you implement? Yeah. I, I think of it as optimization. I think of it as, you know, if you can implement one or two strategies and you've got this like dead zone time where you take like four days and nothing's happening, how do you cut that down? Right. That's to me, that's logistics optimization. And then you got the candidate experience section. So like, to me, those are the components. It, they, if you can kind of picture them, which I'm a very visual person, like it's, it's just like kind of a funnel you're guiding people through and at various stages, you or they are selecting them out. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely a funnel. And, and in fact, one of the things that I think you would agree with is how, how many people are doing a lot of these things without a system in place at all? Like oh, they're just God, sort of, would, it would shock you. <laughs> yeah, it would shock you. horrify you. Systems, <laughs> the idea of bringing a system into place uh, is is just such a powerful thing. You know, you said something talking about systems that you believe strongly in shifting from information to transformation um, as part of what you do for for clients and, and what people should be doing when they're thinking about hiring or really marketing in, in, uh, it, since we've drawn that analogy. What do you mean by the shift from information to transformation? Right. So for me and my business, at least, you know, I, I, I'm big on providing as much information as possible to people and, and you know, putting as much out there and giving people as much knowledge as I possibly can. But, but knowledge is not power, you know, knowledge applied is power. Yes. Right. Which then you learn from, and that becomes wisdom and all these things. But to me, just having the information is not enough. You need to be able to apply it. You need the help to apply it for when things inevitably don't go exactly as planned. Um, There's a great, great quote from I don't know if you know who Derek Sivers is. He founded CD, I think founded CD Baby. Yes. And yeah, super bright guy. This quote, and I laugh every time I even think about it, is if more information was the answer, we'd all be billionaires with six pack abs. 
I like the I like the six pack abs part. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's, that's the uh, the that's the resolution we give up on January the fourth. I think. <laughs> <laughs> is that about what it is? Yeah, it's about the fourth of the fifth. I avoid the gym. <laughs> so you got you get all the people in there that I call the resolution ears. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds in 20 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so one of the things I've always wanted to ask with respect to hiring is the role of storytelling. You know, here on Big Ticket Clients, we're big on the fact that narrative psychology is at the center of like everything. But in your world, how does storytelling come into play? Either the stories that your your customers, the, the companies have to tell the marketplace or how you evaluate the stories that the people that are trying to get hired are telling. Because we know some of those stories aren't really, you know, the, yeah. the truth, right? So how does storytelling come into play in your world? Well, so it's, it's hard for me to gauge how storytelling comes into play from the candidate side. Because, I mean, I will certainly admit that most of us are terrible at storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Like, just it's not in our nature, right? I might be wrong. You might disagree with me. I don't feel like I'm a fantastic storyteller myself, um, especially with having an engineer's brain. I often think like, you know, here's a bullet point list of all the things I can do. It's good. Hire me. Um, but from a company side, I find that most companies go through the motions when it comes to storytelling. Um, you know, I, I did a video series a while back on like five critical mistakes you make in your job ads. And the first critical mistake that companies make is in a job ad, they lead by telling their life story. Mm. Right. And it's like, I'm just going to pick on a random company. It's like Charles Schwab was founded in 1892 by Chuck. And it was and like, you, you kind of tell the wrong story. Yes. And it seems like it's going to be engaging, but you're telling what's interesting to you and not what's interesting to the, the consumer. To your consumer. Yes. Right. So, so that is one of the areas where I feel like companies struggle with storytelling. Um, I do have a fantastic story and like a personal account that, that I absolutely love uh, about the power of storytelling mm-hmm. when it comes to employment and being an employer. Um, so I, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but it was a, a year or two, maybe about a year and a half into my tenure as an executive. Mm-hmm. And we were still struggling a bit. We made some improvements. We were still struggling a bit to attract great talent. And some blog post I read or something, one of these experiences where I saw something, I said, I'm going to apply that to hiring and see if it works. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big on experiments and, and, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I leveraged our internal marketing team, which is honestly about three people. Um, okay. And basically just gave them a set of questions and said, okay, sit people down. I will, you know, I'll uh, twist their arms, people from my engineering team and get them to sit down with you. And you're just going to interview them. You're going to record them. And I just want to create a culture video, Mm -hmm. right? And just a high level couple minutes overview of like what it's like to work here. Because I feel like people, when they're reading our text job ad, despite the fact that I'm a fantastic writer. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, not everybody's that type of person where reading is going to really engage them. So within about a week or so, they had put together this video that like I, when I watched this video, tears almost came to my eyes, right? Like I was just touched and it was just a perfectly illustrated what it was like to work at our organization. Mm. And I tell you the, the volume of applications, but the quality of applications that came through when that video went out, it just skyrocketed. Yeah. You know, and, and yet still I've worked with companies who I've recommended they do something that's like, oh, I'm not really sure it would work. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it has worked. And like, yeah, but you know, when people finally get into our office and we're interviewing them, we close a lot of people as they really like us. I'm like, so move that up in your funnel. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, the, I, I'm so happy that you you um. And by the way, I do disagree with you that you said you're not a great storyteller. You are a fantastic storyteller because I'm I'm literally just sitting here. I want to hear everything. You know, I want to know about this journey you've been on. You, you're telling a great story. No, but I'm glad that storytelling is a strong part of what you help your clients do. Now, now in in you know, just Can I add one more thing. Yeah, yeah. So we did talk about a little bit about storytelling from the candidate side. And if there's one thing I could get people to take away from this, mm-hmm. uh, this, this interview, it's the, what I call the, um, the, the, the game changer question, ah. right? And this question is the question that is on the mind of every candidate that you can't answer for them. They must be able to answer for themselves. And this question is on their mind. They will never ask, mm. but, and they probably don't even realize that they're thinking it. So I know this is going to, this sounds a little bit weird and, and drum vague, roll. But, I want to hear it. <laughs> right? The question on the mind of every candidate. Yes. And I've stole this question from a uh, dating and relationship and love expert, because when I heard it, it stuck in my brain and I heard it on a podcast episode and it stuck in my brain. And like even five months, six months later, I'm like this question, this question. And I realized that this is the question. Yeah. And that, that question is if I'm interviewing with their company mm-hmm. for a job, I'm wondering who do I get to be if I come to work with you? Ooh, who do I get to be? You got to unpack that for us. And by the way, you see how you had me like hanging, waiting to hear. (laughs) I want to hear what is this question? What is this question? That's great storytelling, my friend. Thank you for that. But you got to unpack that for us. Well, what does that mean? All right. So everybody has parts different aspects of their identity, right? Mm-hmm. So you're a podcaster. Mm-hmm. You're the you're the big ticket clients podcast host. You're yeah. a marketer. You're a I'm PhD. also a guitar player and a singer. <laughs> exactly. Well, when you think about your profession and your career, if you're an employee, you're talking about over half of your waking hours. That's right. Right? Do you spend at a job? Do you have your commute? Do you have the time you spend there? You spend more time with the people you work with than you do with your loved ones. That's just the fact of the matter for most of us, which means that you have an identity tied up in that. So whether it is a job title or it's just your feeling as a leader or as a contributor or as being successful, you have all these things wrapped up and you want to be some type of combination of things, right? Yeah. So if I I'm interviewing with your company and I want to be a leader, but I also want to be a student because I want to be constantly learning. And I also want to be, you know, wildly successful and I want to be growing constantly. Mm-hmm. If I interview and I find out that I'm going to be told what to do all the time mm. and I'm never going to get to learn from my mistakes mm. and you're not going to have any professional development for me. And, you know, if, if I'm learning these things, I'm interviewing with you, then that does not match up with who I want to be. Mm-hmm coming to work with an organization. So if you can start to think about what these people who are interviewing with you and who your ideal hire, who do they want to be, mm-hmm. then you start putting that into your marketing. You put that in your job, that you put that into the way you describe your opportunity in your interviews. You train your interview team differently mm-hmm. um, because you want to give these people, paint them a clear picture and help them to come to the conclusion that, Oh, I do get to be a leader. I do get to experiment. I do get mm-hmm. to be a student at the same time. I do get to be a contributor to a rapid growth organization, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. And once, once they start to build that identity, it's game over. Wow. You know, I'm so, I, I so appreciate the fact that, 
um, not only do you help people with the sort of the technical side of these things, but also with the people side of these things. Because, you know, um, I, I can remember once when uh, I was uh, interviewing for a job many years ago. In fact, one of my mentors, uh, her name is Linda Jinak. She's the CEO of Talent Guard. She said, we want our employees to come here and bring all their talents Every single thing that that they do, we want that here, you know. And I mean, she really believed that, and and it works because, for example, I told you I I'm a musician, I play guitar. She wanted me to play my guitar, <laughs> and have that's, that. That's somehow- also, by the way, why you're a successful uh, engineer because musicians make great coders. Yeah, but she she encouraged you to be everything that you are, and and I think that's how she's able to get a plus talent as well. Um, so, so that's great. Now, Sean, look, we could talk all day as you can see, right. (laughs) But if you were to boil down your advice for people who are uh, either looking to hire, um, the right kind of people, what would your advice be? And, and if you could also relate it, if you will, to, um, marketing a little bit, you know, just, I like the analogy you've made with marketing earlier. What would your advice have to be in getting the right people in the door? Okay, so my advice for getting the right people in the door, buy my book, first of all. Um, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a uh, you know, new business owner here. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we need to plug that. We will. <laughs> yep. um, you know, honestly, my, my advice would boil down to just a few things. Like, first of all, would be to challenge your assumptions, mm. right? The, the business world is changing. The world is changing so fast, right? So rapidly. The business world is changing so much, you know, something like 80% of the jobs that exist today didn't exist 15 years ago, right? And, mm-hmm. and 10 years from now, we're going to have a bunch of new jobs. You know, we didn't have, um, you know, social media engagement managers, you know, five years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we tend to put things into these neat little boxes, right? And so we put positions into neat little boxes. And that's why most job ads and job descriptions will put you to sleep, right? Because <laughs> you think that your, you know, PHP developer is just like everybody else's PHP developer yeah. or your, you know, your project manager is just like everybody else's project manager or whatever it may be. And so instead of like putting labels on things and having all these assumptions that you know exactly what you need and exactly, you know, what you want and how it works and how you're going to find them, like challenge those assumptions because it's through that curiosity and exploration is the only way that I ever conquered this problem and it's the only way that i ever honestly regained control over my time Mm. you know one of my favorite sort of claims to fame was first of all when i when i left the corporate world i had basically automated myself out of a job on purpose um but second of all i went from spending i'm telling you 60 plus percent of my time during the week focused on recruiting down to like two or three hours a week and we would have like 10 open positions that were like actively like filling and cranking through. And I'm still only spending a couple hours a week because I had the processes in place. I had the team in place, you know, everybody was on the same page and it wasn't this, you know, I'll check in with a recruiter in two weeks and find out that we haven't made any progress. Right. So challenge your assumptions, you know, and and honestly, I, I know I'm biased here. Prioritize this. The only way to scale your organization is through people. Got it. And you have to be able to prioritize this and getting good at this if you ever hope to to, to survive. Because, I mean, we do have a talent, bit of a talent drought out there right now, mm-hmm. only so much that there's low unemployment, 
there's a lot of job opportunities. There's also a ton of talent available out there. Um, study, the study that I read showed that 28 to 30% of U.S. employees quit their job last year. That could be as high as 33% this year and as high as 33% next year to go to another company. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about over 40 to 45 million Americans. So that whole belief of there's no good talent out there, well, 45 million people disagree. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the key is marketing for those, for those companies. It's, isn't it's it? marketing. It's sometimes it's pounding the pavement. Sometimes it's actually like putting in, you know, the, the legwork. Sometimes it's showing up to the right special interest groups and meetups. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just, like you said, it's marketing yourself better, but it's also about like recognizing that this is, this is a courtship. This is dating. Yes. You know, you have to want them, but they also have to want you. So what are you offering aside from a paycheck? Because great talent and I don't just mean people with a good pedigree. I mean like hungry, humble, smart, curious people. Mm-hmm. They won't settle for just a paycheck anymore. They want to show up as themselves, like you said. Mm-hmm. They want to have growth opportunities. Millennials, which, of which I am one, you know, technically I'm right on the cusp there. Um, <laughs> we're seeking fulfillment and more in our careers than just give me a paycheck so I can you know, squirrel away 40 hours a week and then go home and, and, and pay myself. bills. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what are you offering to them as well as what you know they're offering to you? So that was a long-winded way of uh, summing things up, which I guess makes it not a summary at all. But yeah, challenge your assumptions, figure out what you're offering, what your special, unique opportunities really are. Um, and yeah, I, I, I found so often that some of the best surprises I have are the people that I hire who turn into rock stars mm-hmm. and like they're super advanced within like a year or two when they started out with like no experience. Right. So wow. you never know what you're going to find. Um, you know, in the book, I, I pick, I poke fun at um, describing expertise in terms of years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, we need this many years of experience. And what you really mean is we need a certain level of expertise. And the example I use is doctor, do you know somebody who's a bad driver? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, w- without telling me who it is, how yeah. long have they been driving? Um, 15 years. <laughs> so they have 15 years of driving experience, but you would not call them an expert. I don't think so. Not this particular. Driving, driving is a skill just like anything else. Yeah. I've been using Excel for 37 or for 27 years. Mm-hmm. I'm 37. I started playing with spreadsheets when I was about 10 and screwing around with a computer. And you do not want to hire me for your accounting team. <laughs> So it's, it's one of those things like, you can just challenge your assumptions and you never know who might surprise you. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. In fact, I was going to ask you to, to share where people can find you. But before we do that, I've always had a favorite question uh, in your sort of industry that I want to get answered by an expert. So here it is. Okay, 42. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, hold on. Let me ask. So I've heard that you hire for skill and you fire for fit. Is that right? Is that how it's said or something like that? I want to understand your perspective on that. You I've hire, not, you I've hire not heard that. I've heard um, hire for fit, develop skill. Ooh. And so, that, that could mean that they have some of the skill, but not all of it. Okay. But so you develop what you need. So hire for fit, develop skill. Is that, is yes. that what you've heard? I, I've heard that. Um, it also makes me think of, the, the saying that I just can't stand, which is um, hire slow, fire fast. <laughs> hire slow, fire fast. <laughs> and, what, and what I think people mean is hire carefully, fire fast. But yeah. instead they're like, hire slow. I'm like, um, you need a marketing person. Like, 
four months ago. Don't take okay. forever to do that. I know where I heard that from. I heard that <coughs> what happens in the world, whether it's right or wrong, is that people hire for skill. Oh, yeah. But in reality, yeah. they fire for a fit because yeah, you can absolutely. still have a very skilled person, but you you know they're just wrecking the team or something. Absolutely no, and, and that's that goes back to where I say like hiring is just like dating, right? Mm-hmm. I could tell you the physical attributes and the life experiences that I would want in a potential mate, match, life partner, yeah. and you find all those things, and then I meet this person, and she's racist, and she's you know like got bad hygiene, and she <laughs> you know has a series of bad relationships, and she cheats on all of her you know boyfriends. Like that's a bad fit. That's a very right? vivid picture you paint, John. <laughs> I'm not referring to any of stuff at all. Um, but you know, it's, it's like they if somebody checks all those boxes, they could still be a bad fit, right? Yeah, right? yeah. So you have to figure out and really sort of quant- not quantify, but at least codify what a fit is. Yes. And you know, that's where I talk with people. There's a training that I do talk about like what are your standards and values, and how do you evaluate that in a person? Because you could. You could train somebody as a fit to do almost anything, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, thank you so much for, for all of these tips. And, you know, you've talked about training, but we haven't yet talked about how people can get some training from you. Could you tell us how people can find uh, your hack, your hiring training solutions? Do you have a website, a yep. favorite place to go? Where is that? Absolutely. So so Hack Your Hiring, the, the book, again, I said it's, it's really short. It's, it's about 150 pages or so. That's available on Amazon. Uh, it's available on so print, Kindle. Um, uh, it's on iTunes. The audio book is, and it's on Audible as well. Um, and then the, the thing I'm really excited about too is I just released a training. It's a free training. It's about 45 minutes long. And the training is called Build Your Dream Team, Five Steps to eliminate hiring mistakes and hire amazing people in half the time. And it basically goes over five distinct shifts that you just need to make if you want to avoid making costly hiring mistakes, which we could talk about for hours. Yeah, yeah. A, bad, a bad hire will cost you three to 15 times what you're paying that person in damage to your organization. So we talk about firing for fit. But so this training uh, is, I really love it. I think it's totally amazing. And even at the end of the training, <clears throat> you'll have an opportunity to schedule a breakthrough session with me yeah. and we can even talk about uh, some of the more advanced training that I do, but that is at hiringtraining.com. Yeah. I was going to ask you, the website is hiringtraining.com, right? Yes, sir. And um, how about the book? Do you have uh, do you have a website for your yourself or, or, and, or the book hack your hiring? Yeah, and, and you probably want to put this in the show notes as well because it, it is mm-hmm. hackyourhiring.com, but there's okay. dashes in between hack your oh, okay, so hiring. Okay, hack dash your dash hiring. Dash hiring. Got, yeah. got it. Okay, we'll get that in there. Um, so any last words before we uh, say goodbye to the beautiful weather here in Austin? <laughs> I'm about to go outside. I don't know about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a gorgeous day. Uh, final words would just be, you know, build your dream team, honestly. Like figure out – you should get crystal clear on who it is you want to work with because you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people. And if I can help, great. If you find other people who can help, great. Because to me, there's no greater joy yeah. than working with amazing people who you like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sean. It has been a pleasure to meet you and to have you on the show. More success to you. Continued success. Thank you. It's been an absolute joy. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.